0: It's Friday at noon, so it is time for our weekly news recap, our deep dive into the biggest state and local stories of the week. Officials announced plans for Illinois' biggest ever solar power facility. It will be built in central Illinois, nearly 200 miles south of Chicago.
1: Alderman Sophia King is now the third member of the Chicago City Council to join the mayor's race and the ninth person overall who has officially declared the intent to challenge incumbent Lori Lightfoot.
0: Mayor Lightfoot says Chicago faces an anticipated budget shortfall of just under 128 million dollars in 2023. If 2021 was our pandemic budget and 2022 was our recovery budget, this must be our stability budget. And we have a wonderful panel today to give us the scoop. Here in the studio is A.D. Quigg, Cook County and Chicago government reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Hi, A.D. Hello. Also with us is David Grising, president of the Better Government Association. Welcome back, David.
1: Thank you, Sasha.
0: And Jacoby Cochran, host of CityCast Chicago. It's a daily news podcast about all things Chicago. Great to have you back.
2: Hey, I'm happy to be in the building.
0: Plus, if you're online right now and you're bored, you know, remember you can watch us break down the week's news live or later at your own convenience. Head over to WBEZ's Facebook or WBEZ's YouTube pages. All right, let's get right into it, A.D. This week, Mayor Lightfoot revealed the city's budget shortfall for
3: 2023 is $127.9 million. Tell us more. So this sounds like a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of like a $5 billion corporate budget, not much. Um, And this is a surprisingly small amount. Um, Not that long ago, we were expecting this to be an $867 million gap. Back in May, uh, some budget officials actually said, oh, we narrowed that by $500 million. No big deal. Yeah. from a few means. Structural solutions is something they always say, but then they also figured out that they could use COVID money in a way that they didn't know they could before. Um, So they're not going to have to do a ton to close that gap. The mayor did say she's planning on a $42 million property tax increase. We will see how that goes over with aldermen, who will be running for re-election in 2023. They never like voting for a property tax increase. Yeah. They are very ready to be attacked for voting for property tax increases over and over. Um, but like the gap, the property tax increase is not as high as it could have been. It could have been $85 million, but now only 42.
0: So this is the smallest budget gap since she took office Correct. in 2019.
3: Correct. This is the stability budget, as the mayor said this week. <laughs> right. she, we love a theme at City Hall. Um. Yes. It's, it's the smallest. Um, a lot of revenues that really took a dive during COVID have come back. Um, they, of course, got that big federal rescue, $1.9 billion that they could use for revenue replacement, a bunch of other stuff. Um, the big questions that me and my city hall colleagues are going to be asking over and over is, um, how are you going to keep up a lot of these programs that you rolled out last year with COVID relief money when that money runs out? Uh-huh.
0: David, uh, the mayor says the expected budget deficit is an indication that Chicago's on the path to financial recovery and the buzzword stability your thoughts
1: well i think Ad just put her finger on the most important question which is it's always been it has been hard to track how much of this is kind of one time covid relief mm-hmm. and arpa money etc um how much of this is the federal doing and how much of this is uh, her team and her budget discipline one thing i would say is she has a good team uh putting her budget together finding pools of money that have been sitting there unused, et cetera. And so when they talk about against, like this year, about a $17 billion run rate for the city, they had $128 million rounding. You know, they they look at it as more or less a rounding error against that huge budget that they run. Yeah, And so um, I think there's an argument to be made that we're sort of in a stability budget. Uh, revenues are up in part because of inflation. Um, the property tax thing is quite interesting because... Given a pay- law that she passed uh, um, a couple of years ago, she could have just let let this a bigger property tax increase go through. She said at the time that by indexing to inflation, you would make it less politicized. When in fact, inflation has gone up way more than she counted on, and all of sudden it's poli- a sudden it's the most bump politicized she, <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she a bigger bump than she wants to handle. So that, that that's the one that I think will will be uh, a matter of public discussion going forward.
0: Well, Jacoby, as the mayor seeks this second term how much of a boost do you think this will give her
1: i mean the way she's
2: framing it i think does help like was just mentioned by david i mean you made it connected to inflation and so when you come out and say hey I could have let it go up further. I'm going to choose to go around 2.5%. are I a merciful,
3: merciful leader? Right? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing us a favor.
2: And then, of course, Chicago mayor wants to say, you know, this is only $34 uh, worth of Al's Beef for a mm-hmm. family of four. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, With
3: cheese, th- suspiciously. Right. But, I, I think they're ordering
1: small sandwiches at
3: I was owl's like, beef. what are you getting $34
2: yeah. at? Like, <laughs> <laughs> inflation hit everything, yeah. right? Um, and, and, and so... On one hand, I appreciate the framing around this budget. Again, yeah. $1.2 billion a couple of years ago. It could have been $867 million in terms of a budget shortfall. Uh, but again, when you are touting a low uh, shortfall next to record spending for programs, mental health services, anti-violence, are you going to be k- able to keep both of those up You know, when this COVID money dries up and we're looking at the next round of budgeting or uh, one of those sort of merciful leader moments will have to be pulled back mm. uh, soon?
0: AD, uh, her budget forecast also includes a property tax increase. What can you tell us?
3: So that's $42 million. The mayor has said, you know, this is equivalent to like a family meal at Al's Beef. But she, she every year there has been a property tax increase. Um, I think the average under her tenure has been $78 million in the overall levy per year. And sometimes that includes like actually raising the rate on people. And sometimes it just includes capturing new property or letting TIFs expire. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been talking about how this number was supposed to be pegged to inflation. The mayor passed this originally to be more politically palatable than when Mayor Rahm Emanuel raised property taxes by, what, seven hundred? No, right. six, $600 million over over a few years to help pay for pensions.
1: And I think six out of nine years or something. I mean, he, he had repeatedly become such a big political issue for him, which right. is why she's tried to make it just built yeah. into Rather
3: the Rather than the doing system. one big lump right. sum, she's going to do the price of an L's beef family meal Right. Every now more
2: year. people have heard the word inflation in the last three months than they probably have ever in their I life. I know. Right,
0: right. Uh, the mayor calls this a modest increase. Here she is actually giving an, an analogy about what the increase would look like for some homeowners. A homeowner with a house valued at, say, $250,000 will pay an additional $34 a year. And to put that in terms that I can understand, that's about the price of an Al's Italian beef, hot dip with extra cheese for a family of four. That was a good impression. Is just, that just the entire
2: family going <laughs> to split the, the Al's <laughs> before everybody let's, gets this, let's, the let's dip break, with let's, cheese? Let's break that down.
0: <laughs> uh, the budget has sparked contentious fights between the mayor and the city council. Jacoby, do you think that the mayor will run into issues generating support for this budget this time around?
2: Sure. Uh, Of course you will. That's kind of a
3: given these days. Yeah,
2: at this point, the the mayor's relationship with city council seems fractured enough that anything that gets put forward, whether it's, you know, speed limits or Mm -hmm. the budget, there's going to be some pushback. And again, when we're talking about property taxes, you know, a a lot of older people are going to come forward and not only for themselves, but their wards and say, my ward doesn't want this. I don't care if it's $34 or Mm -hmm. $340. And so, you know, well, do I think many will end up voting for it? Yeah, but I'm sure they'll put up a fight along the way.
0: How else is the mayor trying to strengthen the city's finances, A.D.? Uh,
3: There's going to be a big bond issuance later this year. Um, The city, as part of last year's recovery program, I'm trying to remember what the mayor's title was for it. It had kind of a catchy name. Um, They plan to do like a combination of federal funding and borrowing to pay for a lot of stuff. And that was like infrastructure spending that in the long run she hoped would basically attract more people to the city of Chicago and when more people come, the property tax burden is spread out more evenly. Yeah. So there's that borrowing. There's also the, um, they're borrowing for O'Hare. They're continuing upgrades at Terminal 5. Um, this is Much to, needed. Much needed. Um, this is to, you know, bring in more tourists, travelers, business folks, yeah. and hopefully more corporate relocations. I think we're going to hear, as the campaign kicks off, more about uh, Kellogg's, more about um, other businesses locating here. A lot of drumming up of we're back, things are stable, yeah. um, we're on the other side of COVID, and things are only going up from
0: here. Yeah. Well, to that end, David, also this week, Mayor Lightfoot and Governor Pritzker announced the city's renewable energy deal. What's in that agreement?
1: Right. Uh, spending $420 million to be um, a carbon-free city uh, longer term is what they plan to do, and what they're doing is switching to solar-generated uh, power. And a huge uh, solar farm downstate Illinois uh, is going to be providing a lot of power, uh, and they'll be building that capacity over the next few years. What's interesting to me in in one respect is that when we go back to the politics of this, Constellation Energy, the company that's that's the partner in this, is actually a spinoff from Commonwealth Edison. And it's probably a lot easier for the mayor to say, hey, we've got this great deal going with Constellation Energy than given the role that Commonwealth Edison has played uh, in the public corruption Mm. scandal to say it's – I see what she did there. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not really her doing – they were spun off before this, but it's an easier – it's easier for us to all say, hey, this sounds great, whereas before it would have been, hey – Why is Constellation Energy, part of Commonwealth Edison, getting this huge deal? Well,
3: this reminded me immediately that we still don't have a long-term franchise agreement with Mm -hmm. Comet. This has Mm -hmm. been like a a pending contract that the mayor has talked tough about for a really long time and it's not been completed. And part of what Alderman wanted really badly from that deal was more commitments to green energy. And I believe as part of this deal – no, not as part of this deal, but I saw it as part of the investor conference. So every year after the budget forecast, the mayor mayor and the city invite – investors to the city. And one of the things they were touring was a, uh, an electric vehicle charging facility for CTA buses. And that was one of the things that the mayor wanted out of the ComEd contract, which is still unresolved. Basically like, help us set up an EV charging station so we could get our entire CTA fleet mm-hmm. switched to electric.
0: Jacoby, how is this deal going to create jobs and bring the benefits of a green economy to different parts of Chicago?
2: I mean, that's a good question. I'm still looking to to see exactly how that will impact us. I know that this farm is going to create jobs downstate. I know that uh, buildings like O'Hare, Midway, Harold Washington will see impacts from this new power. Uh, But I'm still wondering, because she said we'll see the benefits across the 77 community areas. Uh, But, you know, I'm still asking how and and where.
3: Yeah, there there was some discussion of putting uh, solar panels on other city buildings in the near future. And like the city has an overall goal of reducing emissions by 60% by 2040. And I feel like solar and hopefully solar jobs Mm -hmm. and green infrastructure is going to be part of that. Yeah, hopefully. This is
0: Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you are just tuning in, it's our weekly news recap. And our panelists today are A.D. Quigg from the Chicago Tribune, Jacoby Cochran with CityCast Chicago, and David Grising of the Better Government Association. Hopefully you're watching us online, too. We are live right now on the WBEZ Facebook and YouTube pages. Join my mom. Jump online and check out the video live stream <laughs> right now. She's there every week. Hi, Mommy.
1: Oh, hi. Hi. <laughs> uh,
0: okay, enough of that. The mayoral race is next. Jacoby, I'm looking at you again. Again, another member of the city council is entering this crowded field of candidates. Mm-hmm. Who's that?
2: Uh, Alderwoman Sophia King, who is actually the alder person in my ward, the fourth ward that stretches from about downtown museum campus uh, to about Kenwood High Park. And, and I believe she's the third alder person joining Sawyer uh, as well as Lopez to get into the race, and I know with older people they have such a hard time getting not only the funding necessary, mm-hmm. but the name recognition. So much of their attention is concentrated in their ward. Uh, Sophia King has some powerful friends, right? You know the the Obamas are probably in her in her contacts, and okay. not their like second or third numbers. Maybe maybe their their actual numbers <laughs> okay. or their their assistant numbers. I've seen her, you know fight for raising minimum wage to $15, for getting, you know, controversial streets renamed or honoring folks like Ida B. Wells, John Baptiste DuSable. Um, When I first started CityCast, one of our first episodes was about an ordinance uh, that would make it harder to have museums in homes across the South Side. And that was one piece of contentious legislation. And one of the things I liked is that it seemed that once it was clear, people were not for it. She seemed to just like drop it. And move on and was like, I know with the Emmett Till home being named a landmark with people trying to make Muddy Waters home a landmark, maybe I should back off this for now oh, okay. and, and rethink and retool. Um, but when the announcement came out, I mean, within the first 15 seconds of the video, you're you're hearing a story about like a bullet riddled home and her priorities are safety, safety, safety. And the same question I have for Person King is the question I have for the other seven or eight people in the races. What does safety mean to you? Because to me, it doesn't mean police. Right. It means cleaner air and cleaner water, safer streets, more bike lanes, making sure people aren't going back to school in two weeks to, you know, downtrodden buildings. It's about making sure people can count on public transit and public goods and public parks and not have to protest that too many uh, festivals are in their neighborhood Mm -hmm. parking. So when everyone's whittling this down to catchphrases about public safety and accountability, I'm always like, what the hell does that actually mean? And and what does it mean (laughs) to you? Because. Safety, safety, safety sounds good on a T shirt, but doesn't mean much for my lived experience.
0: Mm. Jacoby just touched on this, but remind us, AD, the quick list of who else is in this race at this point.
3: There are eight others, if you can believe it. Uh, I don't have them memorized yet. I'm really sorry. I got, I, I, I um, got well, according you. to my right. bullet point Cam, notes, we've got Cam Buckner, State <laughs> Rock Cam Buckner, businessman Willie Wilson, mm-hmm. uh, former CPS CEO Paul Vallis. Uh, Southwest Side Alderman Raymond Lopez of the 15th Ward, uh, South Side Alderman Roderick Sawyer, and community activist Jamal Green, and then there's a bunch of other right. prospective. You got them all. Folks. Yeah, I think
1: the story is in the prospective candidates. Uh, people yes. like Chewy Garcia, who's making noises, mm-hmm. uh, can't really afford to wait till after the midterms, which is interesting um, because if the Democrats lose uh, control of the House, mm-hmm. the job of Mayor of Chicago, as bad as it is, is probably better. Than the job of being the minority in the House of Representatives, and then Tom Tunney uh, mentioned to Fran Spielman last week that uh, he's looking like, at the alderman Tom Tunney running, who's run the zoning committee, mm-hmm. uh, once was one of the mayor's closest allies. Um, he's making noises like he might run. So, well, um, well,
0: David, while you're while you're talking, let's let's talk about John Kenen
1: Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, the um, right, the head of uh, the the fraternal order of police in Chicago, who has been a nemesis of Mayor Lori Lightfoot, um, and really since she was a candidate and. Um, has really just made a mission of being uh, against pretty much everything she stands for. But he's he, not going to be running for mayor. Right, but he, you know, he had made noises. He had said he might run. He had threatened to run, et cetera, et cetera.
3: Well, and the mayor was like, bring it. This <laughs> yeah. would be a blessing to
1: <laughs> yeah. uh, I was it, like her it, Darren Bailey. She was like, this might be easier
3: yeah. than I thought.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, it may well have been. But but no, and, and – um, Uh, Yeah, he's out of the race, which is quite interesting, although he did make some noise statewide by uh, endorsing um, Darren Bailey uh, for governor, which uh, was quite interesting.
0: Well, while we're on the topic of the governor's race, I have to mention this interesting campaign video that Governor Pritzker tweeted this week. But first, let's just listen to a little bit of it.
2: Hey, this is Mr. T. And I pity the fool who don't vote for JB. You got that? Good. Thank you, Mr. What did the okay graphic he going for? I don't yeah. know. That was the most <laughs> random thing I've seen this week. I, t- I
3: texted this to a couple of reporter friends. And I just said, what? How?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Do yeah, people I mean, even know who he is anymore? I certainly uh, hope so. Yeah, okay. I mean, is is... Is this a good campaign strategy, Jacoby? <laughs> I
2: mean, I mean, I just googled it in the time it took to listen to that. And Mr. T from Chicago, or oh, was born? I have no in idea Chicago. what the connection is. And so, or maybe it's just one of the the people JB Pritzker looked up to. Um, at this point, I do I do think JB Pritzker is, has tried so many different ways of connecting, and a lot of them have been misses for me. His his like a uh, uh, his older campaign videos they look like those people were being. You know, kind of forced to be there with like a teleprompter behind them. The Mr. T is a miss for me. Uh, I, I do. I, I don't think ah. it's going to be a difficult race. This
0: just but, in: He was born in Chicago. Yeah, what? And he I, I was a bouncer in the up. city. What?
1: Well, he made his bought name a home
0: and... in Evanston and cut down all the trees. But... I, I thought it was Thank Lake you. Forest.
1: <laughs> yeah, cut down all the trees really ticked <laughs> off his neighbors. I thought all that right. was Lake Forest, not Evanston. <laughs> but anyhow.
0: All right. Well, let's pause right there. We're having way too much fun. That is Jacoby Cochran from the City CityCast Chicago podcast, Ad Quig from the Chicago Tribune, and David Grising from the Better Government Association. And let's wave hello, folks, to the people watching us live right now on Facebook and YouTube. What is that face, Jacoby? Sasha's mom. Hey. Hi, mommy. (laughs) All right. Starting now with news that police superintendent David Brown fired Robert Boyk. Uh, He was in charge of implementing court-ordered police reforms within the department, talking things like the consent decree. So, David, bring us up to speed about what happened there.
1: You have to take a step back to realize how important this is. The mayor, at the beginning of the consent decree, established a Department of Constitutional Policing. And... That is the role that is responsible for compliance with this consent decree. Things are not going well with this court-mandated consent decree. Uh, We recently extended from five years to eight years our our hope to uh, come into full compliance with it. Every time Maggie Hickey, the court-appointed monitor, has had a report, uh, it's just a list of all the ways in which the Chicago Police Department is behind Mm -hmm. in seeking to come into compliance. And so um David Brown because uh the uh person in charge of this uh for the department uh sent out a note critical of redeployment of police officers. Uh forty-six people from Boyk's staff were being put on to the Bureau of Patrol. Mm-hmm. Uh David Brown uh fired fired him for this. And and um this is a person who had been chief of staff to three superintendents, is widely respected in the department. Um, and outside the department, uh, it's it's sort of a case of David Brown just not really seeing the whole field, especially if you add in the added detail that twenty three officers he was proposing moving twenty three officers into training as yeah. trainees, which has been identified as one of the key shortfalls in some of this uh, bad policing. Yeah, that why goes are on. these
0: trainings a big deal?
1: They're a big deal because uh, as we've found. Um, by seeing uh violations of civil rights and uh horrid cases like uh you know george floyd and and others nationwide, training is key to getting police into compliance with community standards, making them better part of the community, understanding their role within the community, following the rules of constitutional policing, not violating people 's civil yeah. rights and yet keeping the seats straight and This has been a big big focus of both Brown and the mayor. And so he, that's where he wanted to put resources, and instead um, David Brown is putting people into the Bureau of Patrol.
0: Jacoby, some prominent former Chicago officials, are, they're calling Boyk a whistleblower. Is that a fair characterization of, of what's happening?
2: I mean, it seems like it. I'm going to be honest with you. The consent decree might be the only thing CPD and myself agree on, and by that I mean none of us take it seriously. I don't I don't take it seriously because I don't think you can actually lead. You can't reform or train away uh, bias, right? Racism, histories uh, of, of degradation. And, and in this case, you know, they started off by missing, what, 70 percent of their deadlines during the first year. And now this seemed like one of the only people who was not only interested in meeting deadlines, but actually was getting them to a place where they can meet the bare minimum. Because when we think about the consent decree again, th- these are. Pretty much common sense, bare minimum. Improve your data, get a foot chase policy. Don't beat the hell out of people, right? Um, (laughs) Get more involved in your community in some form or fashion. And time and time again, we miss deadlines. And so to fire the person who is literally emailing you to say, hey, this is going to set us back again. Mm -hmm. This doesn't make us look good. This federal consent decree that we've been given an extended deadline on is still our responsibility to meet at the bare minimum. Nah, get up out of here. You know what I feel today? More confident in CPD. That's how I feel. Miss deadlines and fire people at all. Huh. I feel more like where, like you said, missing the field. It seems like he doesn't even know what what sport he's playing or what if we're going to continue that metaphor because this just seems like a foolish leadership decision.
0: AD, Mayor Lightfoot has said that the trainings are important, that they will still happen. This was just a reassignment to meet the needs of the department. How can the trainings, though, how can they get done in a timely manner if... The officers have been given different assignments. They can't. Okay, they can't. Thoughts um, on
3: and what's what's important about training is not just training the first time when you're in the academy, but being retrained as you move through the years of the department, as opposed to getting a mandate, a paper mandate, like "Hey, we changed this policy; you're supposed to do this now," and you you get no indication of how you're supposed to incorporate that into your day to day patrol life. Um, and it's it's a bad look in. I mean, this department. The consent decree compliance has been bad. Boyk was in charge of this. Um, it's odd that he wasn't disciplined for failing to implement this, although it's, it's also fair to say that this has been understaffed almost since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but to fire him instead for, for whistleblowing and bringing up a concern looks really bad.
1: And A.D. has made a really important point. Cops get out of the academy, and they've learned to police by the books. The minute they get out of the academy, the first thing that happens is a veteran cop comes up and says, here's how we really do it, okay? Forget that stuff you learned in school. Mm -hmm. This is what it's like out on the streets. And to be plugging into people along the arc of their career, reminding them that these are our standards. And by the way, our standards are shifting. They're becoming more aware of Community, you know, the rights of people—not as Jacoby says, not to get beat up by cops, et cetera. Yeah, it's just vitally important, and and so it's a really um, uh, f- unfortunate decision. Well, and this
3: is like the essential clash of like how bad CPD staffing has been in particular, how much attrition they've had, how, what a difficult time they've had recruiting, and this is what comes at the expense. It's it's officers. Yeah performing a lot of overtime, more officers quitting or making mistakes because they're so burnt out, and people who are supposed to be training and doing long-term projects instead being put on patrol.
0: Another story we've been following is the exoneration of seven people convicted of murder who are all connected to one Chicago police detective. It's being called the largest exoneration in the history of Cook County. Fill us in.
3: So this is related to disgraced ex-detective Reynaldo Guevara. Cook County State's attorney, Kim Fox, announced this week that her office no longer stands behind the murder convictions of people tied to Guevara. So for years, he allegedly engaged in a pattern and practice of framing suspects and manipulating evidence. This is like purposeful manipulation of the the criminal justice process. Um, Fox will not oppose post-conviction litigation for those eight people. Um, She did not indicate that she would be going after... Guevara. Uh-huh. Um, he has never been criminally charged, and he has not been uh, responding to requests for comment on on what this means for him in the long term.
0: Illinois has led the nation for the past four years in the number of exonerations. What are the forces that lead to these faulty convictions? And, and is Kim Fox responsible for these exonerations?
3: She has... Uh, what she ran on in part was taking a second look at convictions that were tied to corrupt officers. Um, David and I were talking about the history of um, corrupt convictions uh, over the years and where Guevara fits into that pattern. Yeah, In some cases, it was uh, abusing inter- interrogation, and abusing suspects and interrogation. in interrogation. Um,
1: the John Burge case, yeah. Yeah. I think. Straight, straight up torture. Report. Yeah, outright torture in, in the case of the John Burge gang. And then there was... Um, the uh, uh Sergeant Ronald Watts, who with others uh ran basically yeah. an extortion ring uh in order to uh you know angle in on drug business and gun gun business that they wanted to control instead of letting people in the you know in the neighborhoods control it and and they extorted people. So um th- there is this history of uh major corruption that has led to um yeah. false arrests and and convictions, et cetera. And for a prosecutor to kind of wholesale say, "Listen, we're dropping this." A lot of times, even when uh, you know we've seen in, in through the Innocence Project and other things where people have been wrongfully convicted. And that it's brought to the attention of the prosecutors, and they still stand by the case even when the evidence is no longer there. Yeah. To see, uh, uh, and, and you're, and 80's right, uh, this was something Kim Fox said she would do, uh, but it just speaks to how bad uh, the situation was leading to these, uh, fault, these, uh, these seven cases and more.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're getting analysis of this week's biggest stories. With us are David Grising, who's president of the Better Government Association, A.D. Quigg, who's Cook County and Chicago government reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and Jacoby Cochran, host of the City CityCast Chicago podcast. I want to lighten the mood a little bit, folks. The Bud Billiken Parade, that's back this weekend. Anybody going?
2: Yeah, I'm going to be in the building. I I, like right. I looked up and all the eyes was on me. I'm maybe, not maybe surprised. It's maybe I it's because we did surprised. an episode on it. Maybe it's because we did an I episode. I think it's because
3: Some of us are Chicago. subscribers to <laughs> City Cash Chicago. Exactly. Yeah. Well um, aware.
2: They was like, let's look, look over at Jacoby. He grew up over so there. So then why he don't, don't you-
0: So why don't you just fill us in then? Why is this such a big deal? Tell me. I'm I'm new.
2: I mean, it's turning 93 years uh, old this weekend. Uh, It was started by the the founders of the Chicago Defender, which was vitally important. African-American magazine uh, throughout the Great Migration. I mean, people would leave it on trains in the South and people would find their way up to Chicago through the Defender. Uh, And they had this children's section inside of of, of the newspaper uh, that was Bud's like children's club. And uh, the writers would reach out to children. There was a section where, you know, children felt hurt, They felt seen. And so this character came around. And then I believe around 1929, 1930, uh, they decided to start the first parade. And f- for, I think, except the pandemic year, it's run every single year from basically around 39th and King Drive to Washington Park. Yeah. I mean, everybody. Muhammad Ali, Oprah, Billie Holiday, James Brown, all the way up to now with Jeremiah. So many different uh celebrities black icons have walked in it uh, every politician that wants to be uh elected governor mayor congressperson knows to walk in it i see i mean when you think about the jesse white tumblers mm-hmm. when you're thinking about bringing out talent this dance troupe that we talked to this week on city cash chicago uh you know the the woman who runs that shakuna stewart She's literally been in the prey since she was in her mother's belly. Wow. And for wow. four decades, all the way back to her That's grandmother, cool. they've been dancing yeah. and, and creating costumes and, and walking in the butt. And so uh, it's a huge deal in the signal of back to school for, for, for thousands and thousands of people on the South side and, You know, when I think back, it was it was cool to get to that age where I didn't have to wait for my family to go. I could just hop on my bike and go ride up and down the route. And so I'm gonna do that again. Grab my bike and head down there.
0: I like that. Another big gathering, Riot Fest. That's been in the news a lot this week. (laughs) Little Village and North Lawndale residents. They're saying that big fest like this, it's really just cutting off their access to their green space. Right, Mm -hmm. We're talking about Douglas Park. What's been going on?
2: Uh, One of the reporters who's been covering this closely is Kelly Garcia from the Chicago Reader. And what ended up happening is, I mean, Riot Fest was booted out of Humboldt Park, what, seven years ago? Mm -hmm. Moved over to Douglas Park. But they've only added concerts. And if you know anything about these big festivals, this could shut down parts of the park for two, three weeks. And so when you're looking at Lyrical Lemonade, when you're looking at Heat Wave and now you're looking at Riot Fest, people in the community are saying uh, this is too much for our park. This, mm-hmm. is, this should have public access. We shouldn't be kicked out. You're not thinking about the noise. And there was a according to Riot Fest, there was a sort of unsanctioned meeting with uh, one of the people who, who puts on Riot Fest. And uh, from all, from pretty much all accounts that I've, I've read, they came off as disrespectful, dismissive. Uh, people said that they felt laughed at during the wow. meeting and that their concerns really weren't being taken into account. And, you know, Ad came on the show not to, uh, a couple of weeks ago to talk about the new Lollapalooza contract, you know, and that happened right around the time where they're announcing NASCAR. And the question in all of these is, is the city really listening to us like these so-called, you know, 45 days before you have you are supposed to have a community meeting. But if in the community meeting, You're not listening to us. You don't have the proper translators for the people who live in that neighborhood. And there really is nothing we can say or do that will have any impact on the future of the festival. What's the point of all this lip service?
3: Well, the even more like essential question at the root of this is like, why are our parks, our public parks Mm -hmm. that are supposed to be free and open and clear being used for private uses? And why aren't we? Allowed to have access to it for weeks at a time yeah. in the summer when we need it most. After a pandemic, when we all rediscovered how exactly. important the outdoors is, and <laughs>
1: as, that's important on the lakefront and especially on the you know in North Lawndale, there aren't a, a plentitude yeah. of green spaces. Uh, to shut it down and deny people access for weeks on end is for pri- for the mm-hmm. interests of private contractors mm-hmm. is really con- concerning.
0: Some quick hits before we go, folks. Ad Bally's one step closer to opening its temporary location.
3: Yes, but they have a bunch of steps. So oh. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> come back. And I, will come it, back. I will come back. I will come back. Basically, <laughs> basically they got. Um, they submitted some paperwork to the Illinois Gaming Board, which is necessary for them to open up. They also got through, like, half a step at the Landmarks Commission. They got, like, pre-permit approval to move their temp- temporary location at Medina Temple and um, there's a bunch of other things that need to happen, including like certain zoning approvals. They need to get a liquor license um, before they set up shop. And the gaming board usually takes a pretty long time considering this. So they yeah. they had hoped to set up next summer, but it could be even further.
0: And David, last story here, news this weekend of Groupon planning a big layoff, including some positions here in Chicago. The thing is, it's also when we heard about pharmaceutical company Eli Lilly potentially expanding into Illinois because of Indiana's new abortion restrictions. What do you make of these announcements?
1: Well, they both say something important. Um, One is uh, Illinois potentially is uh, going to see jobs, uh, corporate jobs move here because of where, as Governor Pritzker called us some weeks back, a beacon of hope uh, for women across the country because we're so liberal on abortion law. The tech thing is quite interesting. Groupon, of course, being one of the darlings of Chicago's nascent tech boom years ago and mm-hmm. has had its ups and downs. This comes on the back of the announcement last week of Google moving into the James R. Thompson Center right. in a really big way. And what it tells us, the overall picture is, we're going to see comings and goings, a lot right? Of movement. We, yeah, we've seen um, companies like Citadel and Boeing and um, uh, uh, Caterpillar say they're leaving, and we've seen Google now make a big investment. It's Up to our political leaders to get the message out that Chicago, as Pritzker said last week, is open for business. Mm -hmm. But some people are looking at Chicago and saying, oh, there's a lot of crime in the streets. There's economic problems, et cetera, et cetera. We're not so sure. So it's it's a little bit of a litmus test for where we are in terms of the trajectory of the city's future.
0: Ooh, Lots of news this week. We'll have to leave it mm-hmm. there. David Grising is president of the Better Government Association. A.D. Quig is the Cook County and Chicago government reporter with the Chicago Tribune. And Jacoby Cochran is host of the City Cash Chicago podcast. <laughs> Thank you beagle. all. Thank you all. We, we didn't get to the beagles. <laughs> no. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. Help the beagles. Yeah. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast WBEZ's Reset wherever you listen.